Welcome to Refirement Life, the podcast for anyone navigating life transitions or planning to make life transitions to ensure your next years are your best years. Listen in for insightful, generous, and sometimes humorous conversation. It's time to get fired up with Christine Zamuda and Muge Wood, your hosts for this latest episode of Refirement Life. Welcome to episode 33. We're calling this one Thriving with Justice. And this is Christine Zamuda. I'm here with my fantastic co-host, Muge Wood. And our special guest today is my husband, Paul. This is a husband edition. Paul Zamuda is with us. Paul has a really interesting legal background, uh, and he's also thinking about what's ahead. So this is a great opportunity for Muge to also grill him about life with me. (laughs) And we are going to uh, first listen and learn a little bit about Paul's background. So Paul, do you want to introduce yourself to the group? Uh, Tell them a little bit about um, how you came into the, the legal profession, a little bit even about what you might like to do personally, and welcome. Yeah. Well, first off, when you did the introduction, you said the word fantastic. I thought my name was going to be following that. But in any event, um, we'll get that in there, Paul, at some point. (laughs) He's very needy. (laughs) You have to earn it first in the podcast. (laughs) So it's going to come down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I never had like, you know, when I was five years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. It was never like that. I kind of fell fell into it. Uh, my my parents were um, enormous proponents of education, including uh, uh, continued education uh, beyond beyond college. I was the youngest of five. Um, the four older ones all got MBAs. And my junior year of college, this the that summer, um, I did an internship with a law firm. And it got me interested. It got me really interested. They did a couple different areas of law, um, and it really got me interested in, you know, maybe going to law school and pursuing it. Going into law school and pursuing it, I didn't, you know, have any specific area that I wanted to get in. Um, but what you spend a lot of time in law school doing is reading and reading cases, and it's it's just real simple. Reading a case about a criminal case is a lot more interesting than reading a reading, you know, a 15 page case about a contracts case. Uh, so I got, you know, excited in that. I started, you know, uh, taking some classes with regards to uh, uh, mock trials and things like that. And, and I thought that was really interesting and really exciting. Um, I had done a uh, uh, internship uh, with the Department of Labor uh, while I was in law school. And just to you know, show how far back back this goes, actually, um, I was all set up to actually get hired by the Department of Labor. Uh, but Bill Clinton uh, just got elected president, and he put a hiring freeze on all government jobs. Um, Ironically, fun fact about our um, pre-dating life, I was working on Bill Clinton's campaign. <laughs> Well, that is just very fitting. I mean, there has to be some special ingredients in this partnership. And uh, before you go too far, Paul, I have to ask this question because I don't know the answer. How long have you guys been together, all together, before marriage and not till now? How long has that been? Well, 28 years married and then two years dating before that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Congratulations. Great. (laughs) Yeah. So 
so the plan, the set job that I was expecting to have, that didn't happen. Um, and so I started just working with a with a small uh, law firm that did a little bit of everything. We did, they did a little bit of family work. They did a little bit of criminal. They did a little bit, um, you know, of anything that, that walked in the door, uh, pretty much. Uh, but as I started doing that, especially the criminal work, I, I started to find that really interesting, uh, doing criminal defense work. And I also started to develop, um, you know, relationships with some of the prosecutors at that time, too. And this is, you know, the whole, um, you know, it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know. Uh, the state's attorney at the time, um, who's the, the, you know, the number one prosecutor for our county, his younger sister, I went to college with her, and she actually married one of my best friends and one of my roommates from college. So I had just that little in um, with him, uh, you know, just on, on a personal level that we would talk about. But also, uh, they had a pregnancy crisis um, there where they had so many people out on either maternity or paternity leave that I literally, my interview was him giving, was the uh, uh, state's attorney giving me a, a phone call and saying, hey, we really need somebody for six months. Can you come here and help out? I can't promise you you're gonna, going to get a job with us, but you know we really need one someone for six months. So I said, give me a second, you know, talk to my wife about it. We talked about it. She really says, is this what you want to do? I said, yes. She goes, then go for it. And that's how it all got started, really. You know, nothing was necessarily, you know, planned in the long run. Things just happened. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually the best kind. I think we reflect on this a lot. It's very difficult to architect your life to precision. Um, and uh, it sometimes uh, uh, plays a whole lot better when you go with the flow. So, um, Paul, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. I've been looking forward to this as much as Christmas, if not more. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I am fascinated by law. Um, and um, uh, and it's a little more the popular view, you know, watching the legal drama, the evidence discovery piece and how do you find what you need for prosecution, the cleverness of the defense to counter that? Um, so, um, but in real life, um, what is it really like to uh, practice law? And I understand you practiced on both sides, uh, prosecution as well as defense. Uh, what is that like and which side do you prefer if if there is a preference? Okay. It's, it's not like what you see on TV. Um, it it never is. That's the biggest disappointment of my life. I know. Although I've been I've been begging him. There's one episode. If you remember the Brady Bunch, I beg him to try and do this all, all the time. But um, Mike Brady is involved in a car accident, and this guy with a neck brace is coming in, claiming you know he's way injured. And Mike Brady he throws his briefcase, and the guy turns his neck, and then he knows that he was just faking it all the time. <laughs> I haven't been able to work that into any of my cases yet. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, there's there's still time, Paul. There's still time. This is where the creativity meets the law. And my uh, suggestion to everyone I work with is go all out as long as it's legal and ethical. Go, go be creative, but it has to. You can't be arrested for it. But other than that, go all out. <laughs> so uh, please do share with us what is it really like to practice law, handling the caseload, um, and especially arguing on both sides um, that you had experience with? Sure. Like I was saying, it, it, it's nothing like TV. And TV, you know, the person, it would appear that the person gets arrested and within a couple of weeks, you know, you have, you know, a contested hearing and then, and then a trial. It's a much more, uh, 
know, drawn out process. Albeit, you know, if, if there are smaller charges like shoplifting, those are going to come up in about 30 or 45 days. But for most of the most of the bigger cases, it takes a good four, five, six, if not more months uh, for those cases to actually, uh, for the trial dates to, to come in. The other thing is the majority of those cases work out as just plea bargains, the great majority of those cases. So you can have, you know, uh, you know, anything that you would see on law and order, nine times out of those 10, 10 shows, it would just end with the, the defendant pleading guilty. So it's not nearly as, as exciting uh, as it is on TV, it's a lot more of status type hearings that you have, um, you know, just hearings, picking court dates, hearings, moving court dates. Um, that's much more so of what happens um, uh, in, in the criminal world than you would see on TV. The other thing, and, and this is actually always kind of interests me, and the best way to, uh, the best example to use is DNA evidence. Like you see on Law and Order, oh, they got DNA and within hours or the next day, the DNA comes back. When I was, and, and that's not real life. It takes weeks, if not longer, longer, depending on what uh, kind of uh, uh, back, you know, how, how, how many cases they have going in for DNA. It can take sometimes months for that DNA to come back. But everybody that's watching Law & Order thinks DNA, oh, that's just gonna take a couple hours. They'll come back in a, in a couple of days. So when we did have trials with, with DNA, one of the things that we would um, always say, and actually I uh, stole this line from, I tried a case with, um, with, uh, with a colleague, a very well-respected uh, colleague, and she would say, you know, if this were TV, you, you know, first off, I'd be a lot taller and a lot prettier right now, um, but the, the DNA, you know, would have come back at a, at a, at a faster time. Um, so as a, as the prosecutor, you would kind of have to tell the, the jury, hey, you know what? They couldn't do DNA in this case because of A, B, or C. Um, it's not like on TV where DNA comes in on every single case and they just bring it in out of the blue and it's ready the next day. On the defense side, you flip that argument around and you say, well, they've had six months, nine months to do DNA. They couldn't do DNA. Wouldn't it be great you know, for them to have some DNA evidence? If you wanna really show that this person's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, they could have done DNA. And so it's, you're making you know, the, the same arguments, but it's just the, the flip side of the, the coin for each of those arguments uh, from one side to the other. Yeah, so it's good to have that perspective mm -hmm. sitting in both seats. And didn't you have one of the first cold hit DNA cases? So I had the first one that went to trial, um, at least in Maryland. So this was when we talk about the cold hit DNA cases, and you're seeing it a lot more often now. It's those cases where um, they actually uh, find, uh, they actually uh, match the DNA uh, from a family member, and then they start um they start backtracking from there to try to find all right well, which family member that would have similar dna actually would have been you know could have been a a, a suspect and then the, they go they get dna from that person so it wasn't the wasn't the first case but we actually had the first case in maryland that went to, went to trial on that um so the cold hit dna dna case and uh so it was an, it's a nice thing to put on put on my resume and, and thank God we were successful in that one because that was a very serious rape case. And it, it's good that that person's behind bars for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's amazing. I, I think, uh, you know, um, 
it is obviously a long and arduous process, not and not particularly glamorous as it is uh, made out to be by TV. Um, but just like the example you shared, Paul, um, when it works, even though it may be over a long period of time, and you bring justice um, um, to those who need to be served with justice, um, it must be a very fulfilling uh, feeling. And maybe that's what Carrie is. Um, legal practice forward and just like uh, you know doctors they want to save lives um, and you know lawyers they want to bring justice and make money in the process of course we all want that so um, do you feel like that aspect of your profession um, has been a key motivator for you uh, and did you have a chance to experience that because it's sometimes difficult to experience you may not be able to bring justice for a variety of reasons outside of your control Right. And, and and that did happen on, uh, on a couple of different occasions, but I always did feel good about the, about what that role um, did did not only for me but really for the com the community. And, and I grew up in in the same county where I was a prosecutor, so it gave me it gave me a little extra desire to make the county that I grew up in a, a safer county, and 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 I did. And so um, I was there for twelve years. You know, I spent when you first start out, you start out on the, the lower area doing misdemeanors and criminal traffic cases like DWIs and shopliftings and stuff like that. I spent a year and a half doing that, year and a half doing um, uh, juvenile cases, uh, and then spent the final seven years handling adult felony cases, including uh, five of those years um, hand, handling the, the auto manslaughter cases. So it's the 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 drunks who go out, they're driving and they kill somebody, whether it's in their own car or somebody else's car. And so it, I, I, I absolutely felt like I was making the community safer, especially when we're dealing with, you know, gun gun cases, shooting cases, crimes of violence, um, things of that nature. But it was just a different um different impact when when I would do the, the cases for those auto manslaughter cases because you're literally you're sitting down and you're talking on a, on a number of different occasions with a family member whether it's a mother whether it's a father whether it's a brother whether it's a sister um, of someone they you know kissed goodbye you know that morning and the, the next time you know later on that day there's a police officer knocking on the door to tell them that they they were in a car accident or they were walking across the street and they're dead um, and those were just just difficult, difficult conversations to have. Um, could never, you know, obviously could not completely understand uh, their pain, um, but it was just they they were really tough conversations to have. It was also amazing just getting the different feedback from family family members because you would get some family members and and i would probably be in be in this group where i would be mad and i'd want this person to go to jail for the rest of their life but you would get other uh, other family members that would draw on uh their religious beliefs um or just other family beliefs that were willing to forgive these people um and you mm -hmm. never you know again got got both sides but it was always i was always amazed um at the power of forgiveness, and it was usually really religious based that some of these victims that had such traumatic incidents had. Um, so that was on, on the prosecution side. Um, on the defense side, it's more rather than trying to help out the community, it's more of an individual thing. You're really trying to help out help out the uh, uh, the, the defendant. Um, and it's not, again, you hear 
on in the news and in TV a lot. You know, oh, this you're just trying to get people off on loopholes. It's just there aren't loop. There aren't all these loopholes that people talk about. Um, for the most part, usually, um, you know, these are people that have dr drug problems, family issues, other things going on. I mean, especially over you know since COVID happened, and especially with a lot of the juveniles that I represent. You know, they're not going to school. Uh, they have mental illness problems that didn't get treated over that uh, period that have just gotten worse. Um, there were kids that would have had, you know, in, uh, IEPs, individual uh, education plans and the need for counseling, which just didn't happen while the schools were closed. And so kids that, you know, needed help, needed desperate help after COVID. Um, you know, I have seen, you know, it, juvenile crimes just gotten much more violent. And that, that's mm -hmm. just, I'm sure it's in all areas. It's certainly happening in, in this count, this county. Um, and that's just unbelievable to see. Yeah. And just a lot of like <laughs> carjackings with young, young kids, like not, mm -hmm. not always 16, 17, 18, like 12, 13, 14. Yeah. And obviously I'm not, you know, when I represent them, I'm not a, you know, a proponent of carjackings. I hate carjackings. I hate carjackings mm -hmm. too, but it's more of an individual. You, how can I help this person out? Mm -hmm. um, lots of times that person goes goes to jail and it's trying to, um, you know, explain to them, yeah, you're going to jail, you're going to jail for this amount of time. But a lot of times it's also trying to get services for that individual, whether it's mm -hmm. drug treatment, whether it's mental health treatment and trying to work with them on 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 that. So, yeah, and that's probably it, the most common question he gets, I think, from our friends and people that we meet is like, how can you defend those criminals? Like, that's that's probably the most common, right? Well, like, you know, you know, have you ever defended somebody that's guilty? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. all I, all I that's, do. That's how law works, right? Yeah. Everybody uh, needs and um, requires representation and um, you represent them. But that particular angle is tough because um, I had a remote idea of um, being a lawyer at some point in my younger days. Um, and, um, you, you know, I didn't understand at the time that there are actually multiple disciplines within law, right? That, like you said, Paul, contracts, tax, corporate law, all of that. And I thought it's all criminal law. And I said, no, oh, there's no way I'm going to represent the killer. I mean, that would eat my soul. I didn't understand there are different disciplines and I didn't appreciate the nuances. Um, but I, I think um, that um, conception is probably one of the reasons why um, sometimes lawyers get a little bit of a um, negative perception. You know, how can you represent these people and make a killing in doing so? What's well, we, the morality we, of that? We help out that negative perception in a lot more ways than, than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll be the first to say that sometimes, yeah. right? That sometimes lawyers aren't, what would you say? Honest. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, 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 truthfully, um, some of the most honest people that I've ever met are uh, lawyers and be quite honest, police officers. I'm not saying every single one, every mm -hmm. single police officer is. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I literally had a case uh, early, you know, that was set for a trial on Monday. And uh, it was a situation where, where uh, my client was actually uh, in the, uh, excuse me, the, the seat behind the driver. There was one gun that was found under the uh, driver's seat and another gun that was found under the uh, front passenger seat. And my client was saying, I didn't know that these guns were in here when I got into this car. Um, 
So the prosecutor had actually um, offered a plea to plead guilty to possession of one of the handguns. And when I talked to him, he's like, you know, I really didn't know any of these were here. I got I got in the car. I was I was leaving from school. They told me, you know, hey, I'll give you a ride. I got in the car. We get stopped within 10 minutes of me getting in the car. Uh, the prosecutor talks with the, the lead police officer um, in the case, and the lead police officer says, you know what, he probably didn't. We were following this car from, you know, from the get-go. He probably didn't know about those guns being under under uh, the, the driver's seat and under the front passenger seat. He told the prosecutor that. He was very honest about that. Prosecutor called me up on Sunday, Sunday night to tell me, hey, listen, this is what the police officer told me. Based on that, ethically, I can't go forward on, on the case. And, you know, I'm going to be dropping it on, on Monday, yeah. which, you know, yeah, the, the police officer didn't have to say that. Mm-hmm, right. Um, the, and the prosecutor, although I do believe that, you know, prosecutors, for the most part, are, are very ethical. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor could have just said, well, maybe he didn't, but there's still a gun that would have been under, you know, one of the front seats and still gone forward to trial. And potentially it was a juvenile case and he could have been facing, you know, juvenile pla- placement or juvenile uh, uh, probation. Mm-hmm. Police officer did the right thing. Uh, prosecutor did the right thing. And I've got dozens and dozens of those experiences as a defense attorney. Um, and I had, you know, well over a hundred of those experiences with a prosecutor when I was meeting with police officers as well. I I, I believe that because uh, I think it's easy to pick one thing and make generalizations and take a negative view of the world and say, you know, everything is polarized. Well, you know, there are wars and people are bad and there's fighting and all of that may be true, but there's also a lot of good. Um, mm-hmm. And it is really great to see that good and um, and taking the viewpoint that the good does really conquer um, the bad bad out there. That that belief is I, I think is also grounded on reality. So Paul, as I understand, you transitioned from practicing law in the government to a private practice. Um, what is that transition been like for you? So it actually hasn't been hasn't been real difficult. Um, <laughs> I, I was a prosecutor for 12 years, and I, I would always tell people that for t- if you ask me what I wanted to do for the rest of my life for those first 10 years, I would say I just want to be a prosecutor. I just want to keep doing that. There was a transition that took place within our office, um, and a lot of things changed over those last two years, um, where it went from essentially, you know, the uh, supervisors have, having some trust in, uh, trust in the uh, uh in the in the uh, felony prosecutors to everything getting micromanaged and that job over those last two years just didn't become enjoyable anymore um you know not that you know i I should have full reign to do whatever i want on any kind of case but there were a lot of smaller like smaller felony cases that i've done 50 of these or 60 of these before i know what's going to happen like something like a felony possession of marijuana I mean, it's not where this person isn't going to wait to jail for for 20 years or anything like that. Um, And I knew all the judges. I knew what the judges would do. And, you know, in these cases, you know, you'd still have to go back to the supervisor to get approval on these cases. And it just got um, tedious. But (laughs) no, it actually got embarrassing that I would have to, you know, with the experience that, that I had 
tell a defense attorney, well, I can't, you know, talk about that counteroffer without reviewing it with my supervisor. If it's a serious case, if there are mandatory, you know, sentences involved, you know, serious crimes of violence, of course, you know, there's cases that I was talking about with the um, auto manslaughter cases. Of course, I'm reviewing all those cases with a supervisor. But the majority of cases that we did were these, you know, felonies, but they weren't felonies where people are looking at a lot of jail time. And so it went from, you know, it just, it got frustrating, tedious, embarrassing, just to continue to do that where everything had to be, it just got so micromanaged. So um, those last two years, I just, each day that went by, I just enjoyed the job less and less and less. Mm -hmm. It's very common for prosecutors to become def defense attorneys. Um, that actually happens 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 with a lot of them, um, and it's really as I was mentioning earlier. It's you know uh, two sides of the same coin. You're just you're there's you know there's an argument to be made, and you just flip the side of that argument, which is mm -hmm. uh, primarily what you do. Um, I really enjoy um, really just just talking with with people, and even if this person is you know, an, an armed robber or a burglar. I really enjoy that interaction. Um, and I don't know if that sounds weird or not, uh, but I, it I, sounds I, weird, Paul. I, it, it is weird. It is weird. I'm not, I, but, um, but I'm I, glad I, you enjoy it because, uh, that's, that's part of the job, right? Oh, and I the part that is striking most to me, um, uh, as an outsider in is the psychology of it. Like what motivated this person to do what they did? What are the circumstances that led them to do what they did and where did they go from here? And what is the impact of that? not only on that person, but on the community and the society. I mean, there's a very complex, uh, I think, dynamic that goes in there. So, um, you know, joking aside, um, I'm not surprised you are uh, interested and fascinated uh, with that interaction with intent to help because, uh, you know, you still need to help. Yeah, I think you have to have that kind of commitment or interest to keep yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. In, in I mean, job. yeah, you can't be like, I don't like people and I'm a lawyer, right? That I yeah. that probably that yeah, probably yeah. doesn't work. Um, no. So because they actually yeah. they they have to have trust in me too. Mm -hmm. and sure. Now, sure. Yeah, now I'm not inviting anybody over for dinner. <laughs> I will right. say that much, but um, they've got to they you know they've got to have trust in me and and if if I'm you know, upfront, honest with them and cordial with them, that helps, that helps in, in yeah. uh, with that trust. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you want truth ultimately uh, for whatever it is to be out on the table. So um, I have so many questions and we may have to do part two and three on this. Um, uh -oh. as, our, as our time winds down, I've got a couple more perspectives. I would love to uh, get your uh, view on, Paul. Um, the, the first one is um, when it's time for you to uh, move to the next chapter, uh, maybe mm -hmm. stop practicing uh, law or a whole lot less of it. What, what do you feel? like that chapter would look like for you any any idea any thoughts on that oh i've got plenty of thoughts and i know christine yeah. probably set this set this one up for you yes um, she did she told me to so say, it, ask it him, just, see it, what he says before i get into that let me just i'm gonna be serious for just 15 more seconds so okay i sure. had a, a, a conversation yesterday with a client 
Um, and then he was in jail. And then afterwards, we talked, uh, me and my co-counsel talked talked with his mom. He's a 16-year-old that's going to spend 40 years in jail. Um, and we had that conversation. That was not a fun conversation to have. Uh, this afternoon, I'm, I'm going in for a hearing uh, for an 18-year-old um, who doesn't have, a, whose mother and father have been out of her life um, uh, due to drugs and child welfare is in is involved in their uh, the case. I also uh, do some work with uh, the county for their child welfare department. Um, she is in an independent living program and uh, has a boyfriend who has just got out of jail for domestic violence on her that she actually picked him up from jail. He came home and he assaulted her again. Um, she's in a spot right now uh, where they don't where she got kicked out of this independent living program because he went in there, um, you know, damaged uh, damaged the, uh, the apartment that she's in um, and was a danger to herself and others. Um, she doesn't want to do a you know protective order or anything like that. She wants to keep this guy in her life. But as a result, you know, child welfare services can't find a placement for her. So here's an 18 year old that may not, you know, in a couple hours have any place to go. Um, uh, and she's in that spot because her her, her mother and father have, you know, are, are, are drug addicts and haven't been in her life. So I'm going to be happy not having those types of conversations with people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're so emotionally hard. tolling. So, uh, hard. so, so hard. I'm going to be happy doing that. Um, so getting off the so serious hard. side, um, yes, and actually yes. still, still, Still a serious side, but uh, something that, that Christine likes to laugh about. I want to do something that has no stress. I want to do something that, you know, I, I I can enjoy. And actually, part of it is this whole, I like interacting with, with people um, for brief period, periods of time. Managed <laughs> interactions, curated he experience. I hear okay. you. <laughs> he, he always says he's the master of the two-minute conversation. So <laughs> we, he, he walks around a party. He's like, he's like, got it, got and it, then, got it. And I, I'm ready to go. <laughs> when it hits, uh, yeah. don't, don't give these people my number. <laughs> this was yeah. nice while it lasted. <laughs> oh, when it hits yeah, the two-minute one second, then I've got nothing. But um, <laughs> I... I you know, I, I say I joke, but I'm not really joking. I've I've told Christine, you know, first off, when I retire, it's not like I want to retire and do some part-time job. I want to mm -hmm. retire and just be done with this and not have to worry about this. Done with law. Done with law and not have to have, have these kind of con uh, these conversations and, uh, you know, deal with the issues that, that I deal with. I've been an attorney for 30 years now. Um, I want to... Uh, what my dream job is, is being a greeter, actually, at Target or Walmart. Um, we are eventually probably going to move down to South Carolina where it's hot. You know, everybody you know tells me, oh, uh, why don't you go be a golf starter or something like that, which obviously a lot of retired guys do. And he like, golfs. And I golf. I'm like, it's South Carolina. It's going to be 95 to 100 degrees. I'm not doing something outside. I can go in. Uh, it's going to be great. Hi, welcome to Target. Can I get you a, a cart? Oh, you're looking for that? That's over in aisle two. I can help out there. <laughs> and I have less than two minute conversations with it, which I'm going to be great at. I know that much. <laughs> Practiced um, for a lifetime. I can work part time. So, yes. I've already looked into, you know, so long as I get at Target, if, if I can get 25 hours a week, I can get uh, and get benefits. Walmart's a little tougher. You have to work 30 hours a week to get those benefits. Um but and I say it, it's it's no joke that this is um, what I'd like to do. And I, I told, told 
Christine this. One of my best friends from high school, father was a big time attorney, big time partner in a, a law firm down in Washington, D.C. Um, he actually retired and he started uh, bagging groceries at the local Safeway. Safeway. And he told me he's never been happier in his entire life. <laughs> he, in fact, it was a Safeway where my my brother and sister-in-law would go to. They stopped going there because when they went there and he was bagging their groceries, he would talk to them too much because he was so happy. I want to be that guy. <laughs> so I told him, I was like, you have this, you have this um, wonderful vision of what this is going to be like, but you're not thinking about the 16-year-old boss who's going to be like, Zamuda, stand up, get off, <laughs> get on your feet. Zamuda, what are you doing? Samuda. I'm perfectly fine with that. There's a spill outside. I'm perfectly, so long as I don't have to clean bathrooms, I'm completely fine with it. That's where I draw the line. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, other than that, I'm perfectly fine with it. And, you know, you do see, you know, these these videos of, you know, sometimes the, uh, the people coming in, in, into the Walmart aren't, you know, the most upstanding people in the world. I've been spending 30 years dealing with criminals and armed robbers and, and carjackers and everything. That doesn't, that's not going to, nobody's going to surprise me coming into you know, Walmart. I think, yeah, I, I think you may be a star in this job because um, there is some shoplifting situation that goes on, oh, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's so actually you, scary, that, all the stuff that's going on. So, so the, you may end up uh, providing some legal consulate intervention while being a greeter, which probably is not what you want to do, but I can't see it going there. And, and uh, and I think that's a fantastic idea. It's it's to be tried and experienced, I'm sure. But um, I, oh, it's I understand. more than tried and experienced. It's 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 it's, 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 it's going to be more than try it. It, it. Yeah, we're not just trying this. It, it's going <laughs> to happen. All right, all right. So, uh, but I understand. I mean, I think the emotional engagement of your job is very intense. Uh, all these cases, so I can understand moving away from that. And uh, um, you know, at Microsoft, we called um, uh, classified this type of engagement structured task worker um, like you have a task it is structured and well defined you, you are doing it well you need to do it over and over and uh, it's a different type of engagement but it engages you completely still and actually I want that too actually I want I know people who have done this and who have been very happy um, it's Walmart it's Target but also um, for some people it's Home Depot because they like the um, you know um, home yep. fixer upper they want to help people find the tools the you know materials and uh, it can be completely satisfying um so when that happens uh we will have a follow-on um episode for sure but um it's it's great to um have that um have that vision so as we wind down we are moving to the last segment paul um and and that is life with christine so um <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so this is the uh, absolutely unscripted version. So we are going to start um, a little easy and and make it gradually more challenging. So um, to start out with, um, uh, who makes vacation plans in your family? How do you decide where to go? Does Christine tell you, or it's the collaborative thing? How does that work? You know what's interesting is that's kind of changed over the past, I'd say, two years or so. Uh -huh. um, we, we, we would always, uh, uh, I think before that, talk about you know, places that we would want to go. And and for the most part, although I, she did agree to go with me to Alaska one time, that, that I had always wanted to go, and I don't think Alaska would have ever been on her list of, wouldn't have been on a top 
50 list of places to go. And she did did appreciate that. But we we used to talk about that um, a lot more, um, uh, more than two years ago. And um, certainly uh, since she's left left Microsoft, um, I'm not always part of the conversation. The conversation is, hey, um, what are you doing in early April? And she's already got everything all all set up. You know, I'm looking into flights to go. You know, so so and so. I mean, this was a, a trip that we just took uh, to visit one of her friends uh, uh, in uh, Vienna, Austria. Um, we went there, and then we spent a little bit of time in in Croatia as well. It was, hey, what are you doing? You know, at such and such a time. I'm thinking of doing that. That's been happening more and more recently. Again, especially since since she's left left Microsoft. Um, where she's just looking at open times and if possibility comes up, I'm just being told about it later and not not part of that that conversation. But the other thing that's changed, and this really happened, uh, she, her mom, and our daughter went on a trip to uh, Portugal. And Christine planned every part of that trip from start to finish. Um, normally, we would get somewhere, and then I would do all the planning at the at the uh, uh, at the vacation. Um, since that trip that she took with her mom and, and, and our daughter to Portugal, now she's, we got a schedule and we've got this and it's just, <laughs> that's it's, right. So it, that, that has changed over the past, I'd say two to three years. Yeah. Yeah. I think before, I mean, we would agree on a place and Paul is good at planning and would, and I felt like I didn't have the time. I was just like, okay, yeah, we're going, that's great. You know, when we land, what are we doing? Yeah. And I, I would probably have a voice in some of the restaurants more so than actually what we were doing. And he would plan everything. So that's that's shifted a yeah. little bit, I think. So there, there's a couple places. At some point, we want to take a safari. Mm -hmm. We we know that, you know, um, our son, we're, you know, um, you know I'm just going to say we. Geez, <laughs> I'm Polish. Our, our, our son wants to go to Poland. Uh, so we're thinking maybe after he graduates college, maybe we do that. We've got a couple ideas that, that we agree right. on. But it's the surprise one that's just completely out of the blue now, which that wasn't happening before. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's the exciting part. There is a new chapter of uh, possibilities, adventures to be had. Um, so I am uh, very glad to hear that. And I hope you keep all of that up because I really enjoy your Facebook posts. Um, <laughs> and that's why, Paul, even though we haven't met before, I feel like I already know you because I, I look at your uh, Facebook posts and beautiful pictures from all these wonderful places you have been to. Um, so, um, so moving on, uh, one of the key traits of Christine as a friend to me, which I love, is her boundless energy and creativity. Right. She is an artist. She has been a corporate executive um, and she just radiates energy. Um, and uh, that that is um, that's like the sun. Right. It, it gives energy and it energizes those around her. So how is that energy and creativity shaped your lives together, your own life? What, what did it uh, uh, what did it bring to the partnership? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, first of all, I have to agree with you 100 percent on the energy and the the uh, um, uh, the cre creativity. How it shaped my life is. Um, <laughs> All right, Christine, what are we doing this weekend? I mean, it's it's not me making any, you know, it's not me making the uh, the plans for Friday night or Saturday night or anything like that. So that 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 energy. But it's I don't know. I'm, I live we, we live together. We love each other. We talk every single day. 
I have no clue what her plans are from week to week. And something <laughs> that, that I think awesome. <laughs> you know, she wants to do, um, you know, this week completely changes to next week. And I'll be like, I thought you liked this. Oh, no, well, I'm not really thinking about that. It just it switches, <laughs> switches from, from from week to week. <laughs> but usually, um, you know, sometimes and, and obviously this is an exaggeration, but, you know, oh, well, I'm going to help Eskimos move from the North Pole down to the South Pole. You know, it's, it's she'll come up with some crazy, you know, thought like that. And obviously that's an exaggeration, but I'll be like. Do I have to do anything? No, you don't have to do anything. Great, go <laughs> for it. That is question number one, right? That is, is this a solo <laughs> practice or you want me to do something? Because they are two very different things. Uh. Yes, and he is completely supportive. I mean, I have dragged him into some things with, with the art business and just like, oh my God, we're doing this? We're doing this. Yeah, yeah, you're going to set up this tent. We're going to sell a bunch of art. <laughs> and you're here all weekend. Does that work for you? <laughs> So thankfully, with most of these ideas, I don't have to do anything. I can either play golf or just sit at home, watch TV until I take a nap and she comes home. Um, that's true. But it's, you know, that's the creativity is a blessing and a curse. Or it's, it's a, 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 again, she comes up with all these ideas and it's wonderful. And it's just her mind thinks in a way that I just. Um, I just can't think and I can't. You, so process. you're trying to process all of this and bring logic and cause and effect and structure and it just can't be done. You have to yeah. go with it. Um, <laughs> so um, I understand and that's beautiful. Thank you for being an awesome partner to Christine because then that benefits me and all those around her. Um, so finally, <laughs> Paul, uh, this is the last question. Um, so, um, you know, we all have been going through life's transitions um, and uh, in this phase, uh, how do you support Christine? Uh, what are some things you do um, to uh, to support her to make sure she's living her best life? It is essential that she does because it benefits me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try not to make her make her uh, angry. Um, yeah, I don't always a do a good goal. job at good job at that. I, <laughs> I the one thing that that ticks her off the most to her is I wake up and I'm happy. I I I, I step out step out of bed and and I'm happy. I'm just I'm I'm wide awake. I don't need you know anything. I don't need coffee, soda, anything to 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 wake me up. And she doesn't wake up that way. And one of the things that drives her drives her nuts is I just I just talk and I think I'm being pleasant to her and nice to her in the morning, trying to say nice things to her. And it just drives her nuts because she doesn't want anybody talking to her. Um, yeah, it takes me like 30 minutes to power up. Yeah. So I try. And then sadly, one of the ways that I try and I still I'm not 100 percent successful um, is to not talk to her like in the morning or when she <laughs> seems to be busy doing something. And I just want to talk about nonsense. Um, so I, I, I try to do that. I try to be I try to be supportive in um, in the areas that I do think, you know, are areas that she seems to be more uh, serious about, you know, the art, obviously, if I can help out, you know, just being part part of the muscle, dragging stuff from one place to another, I want to be helpful in that. You know, she she does come back and, and you know, periodically will ask my my opinion. I actually used to be part of the naming process of the painting. Yeah, I used to name um, a lot of my paintings. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, I try to be helpful in, in those areas that I think are, are important to her. Um, and, I, and I support her. I know that she's got you know, on any given day, you know, 20 different things that that, you know, she's interested in doing on the next day, it might be six things on the next day, it might be 30 things. Um, I, I, I try to support her as, as, as much as possible. 
and I'm covering your ears right now, but with having to do the least amount of work that I have to do at the same time. Hey, that's a smart man. I think, uh, I, I think, uh, why do more work when you can do less? Um, so, yes. um, I'm, I'm with you. I like um, that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think we'll get you a t-shirt that says that. So uh, it's a good reminder. (laughs) Um, So um, thank you for being a great partner to Christine. Uh, It's making all of us better. It looks like you are reading the situation and uh, doing the right (laughs) thing for what the situation calls for perfected over 30 years with another 30 to come. So um, it has been an absolute pleasure, Paul, to have you on our podcast, um, uh, Thriving with Justice. I think we all um, have a part to play in that. Um, even though we are not lawyers. Um, And um, anything else in closing, Christine? Thank you for um, bringing Paul to our podcast. Uh, I mean, my heart is just full having you two connect. I I mean, you're both such important people in my life and it's just been fun to have you see each other and have this conversation. I look forward to an opportunity to bring us together in person. Uh, So thanks, Mugay. You know, as always, you did did an amazing job. And and thank you, Paul, for playing along. Oh. <laughs> you, it was great to hear your story. And um, I've heard it, parts of it, but it's always good to hear, hear it fresh. So thank you. All right. So the next time I'll be wearing my red Target shirt. I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll, I'll have that instead of a Towson University, you know, emblem here, it'll be a red Target one. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Then, and when that happens, I want to come to the Target um, and uh, I want you to greet us, and that may be the basis of our uh, reunion. Or, or uh, we'll have uh, the most pleasant together. greeting that you that you've ever had at a Target. I, I bet, I bet, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. That is that is awesome. That is awesome. Looking forward to that. So much to look forward to. That is what life is about. And uh, Christine, thank you for giving me one of our um, uh, New Year resolutions. I can stand behind, which is to get together in person. Those things I can do. Um, so um, this has been terrific. Thank you. It is. Um, uh, it's given me so much energy and joy, as I knew it would. So thank you for that. Of course. So with that, we'll sign off. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Our hope is to spark a little joy, inspire, and educate our listeners in ways to live an even more meaningful life. If you have reactions to share from what you've heard, please visit our website, refirement.life, to leave a voice message. You may even be featured in a future episode. To keep in touch, subscribe to our podcast, Refirement Life, using the podcast player of your choice. Always remember, you are never too old to set a new goal or to dream a new dream. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. Until next time.